Who is the real Jesus? And do you know him? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. I'm Chris. I'm Micah. I'm Ronnie. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it too. And you heard that right. There's four of us this week. That's exciting. Mike was so excited, he didn't even know what to say there when he was supposed to say his name. I'm not going to cut we've, that out now. We've rehearsed it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> lost, lost track. So before I kick us off with your dad joke that I assume you have. Nope. You don't? You'd be assuming wrong. Oh. Yeah, I well. felt bad because I was like, man, I've been doing good. And this time we have four people on the, on the cast now, and I don't have my dad joke. I wish everybody could see the crippling facial expressions of disappointment. I'm getting on everybody. Down. Oh, yeah, that's real bad. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. There we go. That's, so, no, we, go ahead. Yeah, I was say, we need to, the last couple weekend our episodes, I thought, my my dad jokes were pretty good, but I didn't get the, the cheers or the applause that I was expecting. Because you always, you always say it. Oh, do I? Like you, you, you make the sound Oops. effect with your oh, mouth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was putting the sound effects in, but then you started doing the sound effects on your own. Like that guy from Police Academy. So I just left it like that. Nice. <laughs> but now that I know you feel bad about it, I'll start adding them back in. I apologize. Okay. That's all right. So before we kick off on our open discussion section, I want to add a correction from a couple weeks ago when we did our The Real Joseph episode. Mm-hmm. So you, Ronnie, you had talked about the conversion rate of a shekel, mm-hmm. right? And one of our listeners commented about that. And I'm just going to read their comment because it was a public comment. Okay. So don't don't take this bad or anything. Hey, Google let me down again. Yeah, yeah, it did a little bit. But I think it adds some like interesting perspective here. So I'm just going to read her comment because it was really, really good. Okay. She says this. The cost of a slave would have been several weeks worth of labor. If it were only $6 something in modern money, owning a herd of slaves would have been very easy in ancient times. The shekel value discussed in this video seems to be using the modern Israeli shekel, which would be akin to comparing the USD to the Canadian dollar or to the euro. The unit of shekel discussed in scripture is one silver and two based on weight of that precious metal. The dollar value of shekels requires knowing the weight of the shekel and comparing to the modern value of silver. I found several disagreeing conversions. One estimates the conversion was around $600, with each silver piece valued around $30. One says $5.60 per piece, which makes the slave price $112. One estimated 20 shekels of silver between $150 and $200 total. And finally, one valued the biblical silver shekel at $320 in modern value, which makes Joseph's slave value $6,400. This makes the most sense to me, kind of equivalent to a used car. But whichever is correct, it is important to use the value of silver rather than the value of the modern Israeli shekel. And that was from Sarah. I'm going to give her a shout out. And I'm really proud of her, too, because not one at one point did she correct anybody's grammar in that comment. So that's <laughs> progress for you, Sarah. So congratulations. I appreciate you. But I thought that was a pretty interesting, a pretty yeah. interesting because I hadn't I hadn't really looked into it. I didn't know. But, yeah, that that kind of changes our perspective a little bit on the sale price for him yeah, at the very least. Sure. 
Because the more I thought about that, I thought, you know, really, when you think about that, if it was that undervalued, the slave market would have collapsed, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, when, after you feed them and, and take mm-hmm. care of them and things like that, like, if the, the, the cost valuation wouldn't be nearly enough to justify to justify the, uh, the expenses that you would output. But I just thought that was interesting, so I thought I'd share that. I'll correct somebody else. Some other time, just to make this fair. Right. That's just the no, first one we've gotten. So. I, I like that correction. Well, yeah, well, I, I did too. I was gonna say, wasn't that the same episode where we were, where we thought, said, vizier? I always say vizier, but you you had a different pronunciation for it. Vizier. Vizier. Okay. You said yeah. vizier like brazier. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, but that's the way I always said it. We need it, to figure out who needs corrected there. Somebody needs corrected. Somebody needs corrected, so blast away. To be sure. fair, that's the episode I said flurks. Flurks. So yeah, right. I left it in, and she was very appreciative of that, so we need to make that shirt. <laughs> Tending well, the flurks. Well, I'm not going to lie. My, my 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 pronunciation of that word comes from Disney's Aladdin, Yeah, the Royal Vizier, so yeah. I don't know how that translates over. Yeah, to, it's, it's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Probably as accurate as nothing but accurate, right? As accurate as Google did for me. Right on. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to our open discussion where we just discuss whatever's on our heart, whatever we want to talk about, whatever we've been finding in scripture, whatever's been laid on us. What you guys got? Actually, I'll start. I won't be a jerk. I'll be a good host and I'll start us off. Something I've been thinking a lot about is like his mission for us, his purpose for us. And I think too often we feel like he doesn't have something for us because we're looking for the wrong things, right? I think sometimes we're looking for what's comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than Mm -hmm. what he probably really has for us. And I think realistically, more often, he's not going to call us to do things that are comfortable. I would not be sitting here talking into a microphone if I was doing what was comfortable for me. I hate it. I really do. I don't like speaking. I don't like the sound of my voice. I can hear it coming through my earbud and it's filling me up with a quiet rage <laughs> building inside of me. I think more often he stretches us, right? Yeah. Why do you guys think that is? Why do you think he's more prone to call us to things that are difficult rather than things that are easy? I think it's more the adage of, you know, iron sharpens iron. If you don't, if you don't ever do anything that you're not scared of doing or, learn how to do something that you don't know how to do, you're never going to progress, mm-hmm. right? You're never going to get better at following him. It's the reward of the challenge too, I think. Right. And I'm not talking like money <clears throat> reward, just self-satisfying reward. <clears throat> kind of like as dads, you push your kids to be better, hopefully in a nice manner. <clears throat> and cause you know, the potential that they have. You just don't want them to cruise by through life. And I'm sure, you know, we're created in his image, so he doesn't want us to just cruise by. I agree. I don't think we're more prone to do a better job if it's easy. I actually think we're less prone. Yeah. You guys ever heard the story of like how cake mix developed? Like how that came to be? I think we take it for granted. Cake mix has always been a thing ever since I was born. Like it's just, like, like box cake mix. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like there was like a, like a product cake mix, and I was like, no, nothing, nothing just, weird. Just in general, a cake mix. Yeah, just the just the box cake mix cake mix you buy at the store. I've I think they they first invented that in like well invented, but put it together in like the forties. I think before that you had to 
make cake from scratch. You didn't make it from scratch. You weren't getting cake. Right? Right. You weren't getting cake. Can you imagine? I like pie more than cake. I do, so too. I'm good with that. I do, too. But the pie analogy won't work for this. Yeah. I have to use cake. There's no pie mix that I know of. <laughs> well, so There should be. There should be. You're right. <laughs> there should be. When they first developed it, it was literally just you... You just took the mix, put it in a bowl, put water in. That was it, right? And when it first came out, it was super, super successful. But the, the longer it was out on the shelf, the sales started trailing off real bad. And they couldn't figure out why. And I asked for feedback. And the feedback they got was people didn't feel like they were doing anything. Like it wasn't meaningful. Like I don't know how meaningful making a cake could be. But <laughs> right. that was the feedback that they got. No joke. So what they did was originally cake mix had powdered egg in it. So what they did, and this is a true story, they took the powdered egg out of the cake mix and added it one extra step in the cooking process. So instead of just adding water, you had to crack eggs and add eggs to it. And that one simple change to make it more difficult to make, sales went back to normal. Mm. No kidding. Because cake mix was so easy, it wasn't selling. People didn't get any, any fulfillment out of it. Making it more difficult made it more fulfilling, which kind of plays into what you were talking about, Ronnie, that the more difficult thing is the more fulfilling thing. We get more satisfaction out of it. As much as we think we want the easy thing, I don't think we really do. Not in our heart. Right. I think it plays into, have, there's a, a theory. It's called the unifying, the unifying theory of two plus two. It's a, it's a writing technique is what it is. It's what writers call it. And the idea behind it is when you write a good story, a good story that engrosses a reader. You give two plus two to the reader, but you don't get a, you don't give them four. You don't give them the sum. You give them all the information that they need to arrive at four, but you don't tell them four explicitly. And I think that's how God approaches us a lot of times. I think He gives us all the information that we need to arrive at the sum total of four without actually giving us four. And I think sometimes that's how He distinguishes between those who truly seek after Him and those who don't. The ones who just want him to just give them the answer about everything all the time and not really do anything with it, those aren't the people that are really his, right? The ones that are really his that really belong to him are the ones that are willing to put two and two together to get to four. What about you, Chris? What's on you? Top that. I don't want to follow that. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Kind of been thinking about the fact that... um, you know, we've talked about it, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of love in the world anymore, mm-hmm. especially Christians showing fellow Christians love. And and I heard somebody say this week that, you know, one of the guarantees you can have is, as a Christian practicing love is that you're going to be persecuted for it. Yeah. And, and I think that's sad, but, I, but, you know, there's truth to that, that, you know, it and and I don't want people to get discouraged from showing love because they do like, what's the point if I'm going to show this person love, I'm just going to get hated on for it. But you know, there's more to it than that. I'll probably come back a little bit prepared next week, but that's kind of what I've been focusing on is, you know, and then we also talked about loving the unlovable and uh, I got some pretty unlovable people in my life. Yeah. And it's kind of been, it's kind of been trying for me, you know, that's, We've been talking about that, you know, for weeks on end now, and yet here it is. I, I walk out the door, and those people are in my life. So, more to come, for sure. Fair yeah. enough. That is hard. 
Like we think about loving people and we think of the ones that, that make it easy, right? Going back mm-hmm. to that easy thing that appreciate it. Those aren't always the ones that he calls us to love on though. Really the ones that need love the most are sometimes the ones that are going to in that moment appreciate it the least, mm-hmm. I think. And playing into what you talked about with the suffering, yeah, that's been a theme that's been popping up for me a lot recently mm-hmm. too. Suffering as his believer or as his followers, right? It's a training process, I think, though. Mm-hmm. I think too often we view suffering as a punishment, mm-hmm. right? Or as, as something that's against us, but it's really not. Like when, when you guys think back at the times that you had the most spiritual growth, was it during times of perfect comfort? Or was it times of either internal or external suffering? Because for me, I would say it's always been through times of suffering. When I grew the most was always through times of suffering, without without omission, I would think. Would you guys say something similar? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's biblical, too. I think when you look at the disciples, every time they came under persecution or came under fire, it flourished. The, the message mm-hmm. of Christ went out, and, and you know that's when revival happened, and that's when people started turning their hearts back to God is when they face that persecution or they face that that challenges. And I'm not asking for persecution in our day today, but I think that's maybe what, what God's doing sometimes and weeding out. Me and me and my friend from Tennessee, we have a morning morning talk, and we talked about that. I think we're living in a time where God's kind of weeding out those wheat and tares type thing, and those that are faithful and those that are just kind of taking the easy road are going through the motions and... That's the, it's easy because it's easy. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do it. Yeah. You know, we if it was hard, we don't like to do hard. We don't like to challenge ourselves and to motivate ourselves to be better, even though that's what God wants us to do in our walk with him is to challenge ourselves to be more like him in every in every aspect. Mm-hmm. Too often we don't really want transformation or change. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think I think too often we just we want the status quo to say to stay the same, right? We want a savior that's going to tell us you're fine just the way you are. You don't need to change a thing. You don't need to do anything, but Hey, I'm going to reward you for it. That's not what he's offering, right? You, you won't find an example of him approaching anybody throughout scripture and saying, you're perfect. Just like that. I'm just going to leave you there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even ones that seem to be sinless, nobody's really sinless, but without, as many faults as what I think I, I have, I guess. You know what I mean? Even they went through suffering. Look at Job. Job mm-hmm. suffered because he was so good. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. think about that for a second. He didn't mm-hmm. suffer because he did something wrong. He suffered because he was so good that it drew the attention of the enemy. And I, and I think that can be true of us a lot of times, too. I think we I think we have this, this misguided perception that the closer we get with the Father, the the more right we get with him, the easier things will become. Yeah. Right. But I think more often that just draws the enemy's attention more. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Personally. You guys got anything else? Well, I, we week? like to be complacent. Yes. That's what you're talking about. We like to and you guys have talked about it and you've talked about it, Ronnie, on the other podcast as well, checking the boxes and going through the motions and you know, that's all easy. You know, we can okay, I attended this, I read this chapter, I did this, okay, I'm good for the week and you know, that becomes easy, it becomes routine, it becomes complacent, and we don't strive ourselves or push ourselves to go beyond that. And it, does, it doesn't have to be big, huge, monumental things. Yeah. Just like you said last episode, like helping the guy yeah. find his car yeah. in the parking lot, yeah. right? Like, that could have been out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And you're like, nope, I'm just going to go and 
Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I kind of remember what you mentioned when I when I when I made a comment a few weeks ago about talking. Maybe maybe he's telling you to talk to the guy at the convenience store next to you waiting in line. You're like, oh no, that's my social anxiety button. You're pushing. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I did that. That is one of the things I've been working on. Is is uh, you know, like, and you know, in this group, you know, it, there's more than two people in this room, but I know them. So I f- I found that what kind of triggers it is is the more the ratio gets away from people in the room to people that I know, the more my anxiety acts up. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of something that where, yeah, if that guy would have said something to me, I'd have been like, Oh man, sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't blame you in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, right, yeah. and then and honestly, I'm, there's a small portion of me that, that doesn't want to believe this, but probably would believe that I wouldn't have thought, any, I got in my car and drove away and not thought anything of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's what scares me is getting to that point of, you know, using, using my faults as a, an excuse to not do what, what God calls me to do. I, th- <clears throat> I think it's, he's like Jonah, how he treated Jonah also, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we can be defiant and not do what he wants us to do, but we're going to end up doing it anyway. Right. Right. Like Jonah didn't want to go and he went 1500 miles out of his way. And we do that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's not 1500 miles, but right. say like, you know, I've talked to you about <clears throat> youth group. Like I didn't, I got asked multiple times over and over and over again to help with the youth group. And I was defiant in my no. Yeah. And then that hit real close to home. And then it was like, see, if you would have just said yes the first time or a second time or the twelfth time, you know. I think sometimes he uses our defiance to, tr- to train us or to teach us. Like yeah. going back to that Jonah example, if it wasn't for Jonah's defiance, one, we wouldn't have the prophecy of the third day, which we're going to get into later in the episode, actually. So I'm glad you brought that up. He wouldn't have reached the pagan sailors on the boat. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. his defiance is what caused the storm there. And when they saw Yahweh's his, his power. In his might, it caused them to pray to him. Yep. Seems like he converted them. It was through the defiance. Mm-hmm. And it was through the defiance that he, he taught Jonah mercy at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. sometimes he will allow us to, to walk that road. Not that defiance is a good thing. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that oh, okay, I'll defy God because he's going to teach me something good out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that. <laughs> but I think he will allow us to walk those roads and walk those valleys for a reason. I think we forget that it's him that causes us to do what's right. He's, he's clear about that. He causes us to walk. When he takes his own, those who belong to him, he causes them to walk uprightly. He causes them to seek after righteousness. And when it's somebody that doesn't belong to him, he causes them to harden their heart too. You and I, Ronnie, were talking about, Hophni, and, and I think I was talking to you about it as well, Micah, Hophni and Phinehas. Mm-hmm. In the first book of Samuel, I think it's chapter two, it's the, the, the two sons of Eli. And this is very sobering. It's it's a very sobering message, right? But they were evil. They were priests of Yahweh. Outwardly, they were, to a, to a point, they were outwardly serving Yahweh. But they were despising his offering, meaning they were taking the offering for themselves to fill their belly. They were using Yahweh as a means to enrich themselves, which I think is kind of a, is a sobering, sobering warning to a lot of pastors and religious leaders out there that, that use their service as a means to enrich themselves mm-hmm. or put money in their walls 
Sorry. <laughs> they were also doing some other pretty vile things like like they were having sex with the the girls that were that were at the temple courts helping and it seems like it was coercion. Mm-hmm. Point is, they were given a prophecy and a warning, I believe it was through Eli, about their sin, but then he says something chilling at the end of it. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, but they will not repent because Yahweh has already committed in his heart to put them to death. He removed the option for repentance from them. But it's deeper than that. I don't think it's so much that he removed the option to repent. He removed their desire to. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's an important takeaway there. Repentance, I think we too often think of as a gift that we package up nice and give to God. Here, God, here's my repentance. You're going to love it. <laughs> it's really a gift that he gives to us. Mm-hmm. He gives mm-hmm. us the desire to repent. He causes us to have the desire to repent. If you're his, if you belong to him, or if you have the option to belong to him, you will feel that desire to repent. It's when you don't feel it anymore that you're in a danger zone. But honestly, if you don't feel it anymore, you're probably not listening to this podcast or anything else Christian based and you don't care. It won't matter anymore, but it is sobering. It's a sobering warning that we can get to that point where we're so wicked of heart. We're so just incurably wicked to our core that he just gives up. Mm. and hands us over to our sin like he did Hophni and Phinehas. Again, repentance is a gift. That's been, that was going to be my other thing I brought up if you guys didn't, didn't talk too much. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad that worked host. out. Oh yeah, it worked out great. Got anything else for me? For our open discussion? Mm-mm. No, not me. Nothing? You guys know I've been really unpacking that Joseph, the Joseph account. I almost wish we would have made that a three-parter because there's so much. There's, there's so, so much to much. Joseph. Yeah. I might have done that if I had known that you were gonna you were gonna come even when you worked, Ronnie. Because like full disclosure to those of you <laughs> listening, Ronnie was only gonna be here on his Mondays off. He's got a rotating work schedule, and we figured out. Oh wait, we don't hit the record button. We just we sit here and talk for an hour before we even start the episodes. By the time we're done talking, he can make it here anyway. Point is, I probably would have expanded that a little bit since it was your idea for for an episode. Because there's just so much there. Yeah, it's layer yeah. upon layer upon layer of symbolism. Go ahead. We, we actually talked to me and me and my wife talked about that where, you know, <clears throat> somebody listening in that might not have a lot of Bible knowledge. I mean, we kind of briefly went over. Yeah, the, we gave the, like the cliff. We gave notes the cliff version. notes yeah. of it, but it's like there's a lot more to oh. unpack there that you know that we that we skimmed over, but would be beneficial to know in those situations. I have so. a plan moving forward for the next couple months for some episodes that I want to hit on. They're going to be tough I'll, I'll expand on that at the end of the episode but i think it i think we might round back to joseph and just go through his entire account from beginning to end later because i think that would be good just just go through the whole thing and unpack it because there's so much but one of the things i noticed and it was well oh go well, ahead sorry to interrupt but before we start unpacking joseph we gotta get through uh through our other series that oh we're, we're, we're working, working on. on that we'll get through the next section today i think the next couple of weeks we'll like get through my guy don't worry open. no we'll get there we're getting there we're making progress we're doing good sorry no, you're good. <laughs> Jabbing at the no, house. no, I needed it. It's fine. You'd be, you'd be the thorn in my side. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Right. Yep. It's all about grace, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. But I can't take credit for this, but a friend of mine pointed out is in Genesis 44, and it's when his brothers are confronting, or he's confronting his brothers, I should say, as the right hand of Pharaoh, right? And they haven't recognized him yet, which, again, we've already talked about that, and that's sort of what we're going to dive into today. Our, our, our topic today is recognizing Jesus. And I, I kind of disclosed last week that that really hit me hard that they didn't recognize him. 
mm-hmm. right? They didn't recognize him, you know? And if he's a foreshadowing of, of Jesus, what what's the warning there for us? But there was another little nugget that I found in there that the friend of mine found in there. Look at me. I was I almost took credit for something that wasn't mine. I knew I was going to if I didn't catch myself. <laughs> but he's trying to keep Benjamin, his full his full blood brother. And Judah had promised Jacob, his father, that he would definitely come back with Benjamin. He's like, I will not, I promise you, I will I will not lose Benjamin. <laughs> you know what I mean? He will come back with me. So when Joseph tries to keep Benjamin, Judah, at the end of that chapter, of chapter 44, he says something interesting, and when we unpack it as a, as a foreshadowing for Jesus, I think it's pretty powerful. He says, I cannot approach my father without the son with me. If I don't have his son, I cannot return to the father. Man, is that, is that a powerful picture mm-hmm. of our return to the father? Mm-hmm. If we look at Jacob as a picture of the eternal father there, which in that small little nugget of an instance, I think it is, we can't approach the Father without the Son. Right. Without the Son in tow, well, I shouldn't say it like that, without us in tow of the Son, we can't approach the Father. Yeah. We talked last week about marriage, right? He marries us. That's how we become children of the Father. If He's the Son of God and He marries us, what happens when a son marries a daughter? The daughter becomes a daughter-in-law to the Father. That's how we're brought in as children of God when we marry the son, figuratively speaking, and that's what we're, we're shown there, yeah. right? It's pretty powerful stuff. We need the son, but we need to recognize who he really is because I think there is a danger here of, of being taught a false version of him. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've talked about that in the past. My concern, I even brought up that, that Spencer's Jesus, Chris, you remember? Yeah, uh, the thumbs up and the big winky face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish the audience could see that. That was a really good representation of it. Maybe I'll take a picture and share it with you over there. We should put that on our shirt. That'll right be a shirt. Right underneath the flex. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't think know if I go that far. That, yeah, I think their shirts are that false Jesus. And I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to oh, take yeah. it there. Yeah, yeah probably true. wouldn't be good. Yeah, probably, probably not. Yeah, this is why we have these guys here, Chris, to keep us I'm in line. Yeah, <laughs> I need somebody to do it. <laughs> It's important to recognize who he really is to us. And this is going to be a foundational discussion. We're just going to have a discussion on this. We're not going to deep dive too much this episode because this is sort of my foundation for what I talked about earlier. I have I have a plan for some episodes moving forward. We're going to call it our Tough Pills series. So we're going to have a series of topics where we dive into what I view as tough pills for either either those in the church or those on the Hebrew Roots Torah pursuant side. I think that the truth is in the middle. And I think I think there's some issues that probably need addressed to to purify our understanding of what he's teaching us. Mm-hmm. But this episode, oh, you look nervous, Micah. Oh, you got a nervous look there. You made me nervous. That's all right. But I think it's important to 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 understand why why we should be looking for the right. What I mean, in other words, what I mean when I say why it's important to recognize Jesus, the real Jesus. So that's where I'm going to like open up a discussion. Actually, before I do, let me read. Since you mentioned Malachi, I almost skipped right over it again. I almost skipped right over. This is going to be our guiding reference. Just like you skipped over the dad joke from Chris. Yeah, I'm glad he brought. I'm glad he brought that back up. You deserved it. (laughs) I did because I don't. I almost saved him, but I didn't. Well, no, I don't have one this week. (laughs) So our guiding reference for this discussion is going to be Malachi chapter three, starting at verse one where he's talking about the Messiah, and he says this, Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Suddenly he, that's Jesus, will come to his temple, 
the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant, the one whom you desire. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Or who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like soap for cleaning raw wool. And he will sit as a smelter or a purifier of silver. And he will cleanse the sons of Levi and purify them like gold or silver. Then they will become for Yahweh those who present an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh, as in days of antiquity and years of old. Then I will draw near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, those who extort a worker's wage, or oppress the widow or an orphan, those who mislead a stranger. They do not fear me, says Yahweh of hosts, for I am Yahweh, I do not change, so you children of Jacob are not consumed. I'm going to stop there. That's a pretty powerful description of our Messiah, and I think it conflicts a lot of times with the description that we hear too often from believers or churches or authors. We have this this image of him as, as this just helpless lamb, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what he came as the first time to redeem us, correct? But I think too often we take that to an extreme as if he's not a judge also. All mercy and no justice. But we're given a pretty, not to overuse the word, sobering description of his justice there. And not to not to narrow in on it, but he mentioned sorcery there. That's occultism, and we've been talking about that yes. quite a lot, Micah, because our town just brought in a, a medium, you know what I mean, to, to put on a, a, a big occult show for people. <laughs> it looks like Ronnie knows about that as well. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked, not giving names, obviously, but we've talked about friends of ours that saw some of the individuals on social media that were expressing interest were church-going people, right? This is the problem. I bring this up because this is why it's important to recognize the real Jesus, this this Jesus that I just described, that Malachi, that Yahweh through Malachi just described here. He's a just redeemer. He's, he's, he's not winking and nodding at our sin like the Spencer's Jesus is. Why do you think we have so many believers that can't see through things like sorcery, obvious occultism? Michael, what would you say? Well, I think it's like what we talked about earlier. It's that complacency that that it's easy. You know, we want to hear about love and grace and everything's going to be okay because God loves us and all of our sins are covered under the blood. And so it really doesn't matter what we do or what we say, that, that kind of false mentality. And we, we buy into that because we like that. Mm-hmm. So, so to, so to stretch, stretch out and actually do something for God that he's calling us to do. We don't want to talk about the sin aspect and we don't want to talk about because we're so worried about offending people that we don't, we don't do that. But sometimes the word of God offends. I mean, to be honest, you know, Jesus, when you get into a right relationship with him, he's going to challenge our heart. He's going to convict us of some things and he's going to, and if he's not, then I would say we need to make sure our relationship's back on track with him because there should be moments in all of our lives that at some point he's convicting us and he's molding us to to be more like him. And so we're kind of what I call raising a generation of weak Christians because we're not found, we're not, we're not into the meat of the word where he liked that milk. Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he's talking about, you you should be eating meat by now, but you're still into the, the milk of the word. And and I think that's where our our believers want to be. We want to be in the milk because we like the milk. You know, we get the bottle fed to us, and 
You know, if we holler a little bit, then we're going to get where we want. We're going to have somebody come over and coddle to us. And everything's great at that moment. We don't really have to go beyond that. And so we get comfortable with that. And so when air comes in, it comes in not all of at one time because we'd recognize that. If somebody said, well, Jesus isn't the son of God, we'd pick up on that real quick. You know, oh, that's an error. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's a falsehood. We'd pick up on that real quick. But it doesn't come in like that. It comes in with a little bit of truth and mixed in with a little lot of air and we're not we're not recognizing that because we're not grounded in our in our walk with him. I agree. I think the enemy's content with us accepting that he's the son yes. of God so long as we're sinning and yeah. not repenting yeah. and not seeking yeah. after really seeking after him with a whole heart. Yeah. Right. I think he's okay with that. I think obviously he would prefer if we just apostatize. That's mm -hmm. what he wants. Right. right. But he's he's willing to compromise. Right. And cuz he's he, He's the, the father of compromise, you know, and, and that's what we see in the churches. Like when you see believers that are expressing interest in something like a medium or, or, or occult practices like that. And it's not just mediums, yeah. right? I was listening on the radio and they were talking about somebody on, on there. They expressed a question. They called in with a question and they were involved in uh, uh, psychology, right? Counseling. And they were talking about how rife and I, I can attest to this, how rife the field of psychology is with new age practices. Yes. And, and she called in about, because she purposely sought after a Christian psychologist, and even that Christian psychologist was suggesting new age, new age energy mantra theory mm -hmm. and, and asking if, you know, should I be wary of that? And, of course, the, 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 the host gave a good Bible-based Bible answer. You should absolutely be wary of that. We yeah. shouldn't be engaging in that sort of thing. But we do have a lot of compromising yeah. Christians because we have a lot of compromising leaders that are teaching them a compromising doctrine. Hmm. And I think if I was going to give my response for what I think the issue is, I think we like to preach on repentance and sin as platitudes. We, we rarely get into a definition of what repentance is and what God calls sin because we don't want to chase anybody away. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you were getting ready to yeah, say that, something. <clears throat> that doesn't get them in the door. Right. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't keep them there once you get them in the door. Right. Like they don't want to chase somebody out. There's always taboo quote unquote subjects yeah. that never gets touched or I don't want to say never hardly ever mm -hmm. because of the meat and potatoes type thing. It's just the milk. Yeah. And this isn't all churches. Don't get me wrong. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, every no. single church is like this. There are, there are good godly churches I know of, but you know, at least three here in town that, that, that I, I attend, right. Um, you two represent two of them <laughs> sitting across from me, but there are churches where those topics never never get broached you know what i mean and never in a very specific powerful way because they know that people will get up and walk out and their bank accounts will walk out with them right i think mm -hmm. it's i honestly think that's the core of the problem we like to feed to the flesh and i think that's even in our assemblies that's what we do is feed to the flesh you know what's what do we what do we want what do we like what do we what do we enjoy and sometimes repentance is not that you know that's mm -hmm. not what we enjoy we don't because that's hard that's, you know, getting on our knees and humbling ourselves before an almighty God and getting ourselves back back on track. And Satan wants nothing more than for a believer to be in that lukewarm status. I think I think you're right. He'd prefer we apostatize. I agree with your statement earlier. But the reality is a lot of us aren't going to do that because we know foundationally the truth. Mm -hmm. So we're probably not going to just abandon the faith altogether. We'll make but, an excuse to yeah, justify it. Yeah, but we're not going to do a whole lot extra. You right, know, yeah. we're not going to be on that that fire. Uh oh, 
I don't mean to pause Uh-oh. you. <laughs> it's been weeks since this happened, and I'm so excited. <laughs> that can't be me. Yeah, it was you. No, it was you. Anybody else got their phone? It was you. You tried to blame somebody. Else. <laughs> like I saw him looking at the side of his eye at Micah. I, I think he's got his phone over I know. there. I did have it right here in my pocket, but I made sure it was on well, silent. So I, I was one click away. I went down to vibrate for ring, but all my other notifications. Mm-hmm. And one more button would have been silence hall. So it like those excuses hall. that yeah. I was talking excuses, about. Exactly. Excuses. I did not silence hall. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I'll, sorry. I'll make sure and highlight. No, that you're good. In the editing. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. No, you're good. Were you I, good? Yep, I am. Okay. And just to in, before you add whatever you have, for those that would say you know Malachi's Old Testament context, right? Right. So things change because I've heard that argument. Hmm. You know, you know this definition of sin that's not the same anymore. He came and he changed. Even though that Malachi's describing Jesus returning and what he's going to do when he returns, they would say, well, it changed things. Well, let's look at Revelation, because Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their lot is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, end quote. That's almost verbatim, not verbatim, but that's a very similar list of sins that Malachi expressed. Mm-hmm. And this coming from the same Messiah. This is this is the same Messiah, just in a in a different prophetic context. Right. Right? Well, I would say the same prophetic context, but a different prophecy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, his definition of sin, what I'm trying to express there, isn't different. Right. Yeah, that's that concept that you the verse that you read earlier. I think right at the tail end of that verse, you know, I am the Lord; I don't change. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, that's needs to resonate in our mind. That. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. There are there are certain things that he shifted, right? And we're not going to dive into that here because it's a deeper discussion. We're gonna, that's going to be one of our tough pills. We're going to talk about the shift that occurred with the tearing of the veil and the removal of the temple and the return of the priesthood to a royal priesthood as, as intended. That's going to be one of the tough pills for the more Hebrew root side of, of, of the equation because their argument would be absolutely nothing changed at all. If he says he doesn't change, that means he doesn't shift anything. There's so many contradictions with that because... Mm-hmm. Although his word stands forever, there are times when he gives a word that isn't intended to apply forever, right? For example, the uh, when he when he sends Judah into captivity, that was never intended to be a forever thing. Even though the way he words it is, the fire of their captivity would be eternal. That's how he words it. He words it as an eternal fire of captivity. But the way he expresses that in the Hebrew is that that fire couldn't be put out by human hands it would burn itself out in God's good time, in his good time. And I think we can we can view some of his laws related to the temple and the, the separation of the veil, which I believe are a consequence for rebellion. Again, I'm probably expressing too much. We'll get into that on its, on its own episode, but there are some mm-hmm. consequences that weren't intended to be forever, but are intended to teach us a lesson. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that deeper, but... On the opposite side of the coin, I think, you know, where you have the one side who's unwilling and recalcitrant to admit that there's some sort of a change that's clearly expressed in prophecy, you have the other side that knows there was a change but shifts it too much, right? They take the things that obviously changed and then apply that to areas of his law and his commandments where it never should, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think it goes back to what we've been talking about because they don't want to change. They don't want to admit certain things that he calls sin in their life are sin in their life. So they say, well, that changed. That's part of that shift. That's okay for me to do that now. Right. You see how that works. That's that subtle little deception. And it's really like we talked about earlier today, Mike. my, My fear is that too often we're not really following the real Jesus. We're following an idealized version of ourselves that looks a lot like the paintings that we hang out, right? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think wherever we are in our spiritual walk is a different real Jesus for Mm -hmm. us. Like when I was little, that might have been the purest and innocent one that I've had. Mm -hmm. But then as you grow and rebel or mature, whichever then you see things differently. Just like I see things totally opposite or differently than what I did even three years ago. Right. I think he approaches us. I think his demeanor is, is how am I wording myself here? How, how should I word myself? I think he approaches us with a different demeanor, depending upon where we are and what we're ready for. Yeah. But that doesn't change who he is. Right. Right. Yeah. He doesn't change. We are changing. Yes. No, I was just like the milk and meat and potatoes thing. Yeah. No, I 100%. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because like there's relevance to that. I think we, I think we have the misguided idea that because on the up, on the other end of it, we have this idea that he's going to approach you with the same attitude, the same tone, the same demeanor, no matter where you are. And that's not true. I don't talk to three year olds the same way I talk to 22 year olds. Right. Right. There's a difference. I approach them based upon their maturity and their, their ability to comprehend what I'm saying, you know, and if, if, if a 22-year-old has a three-year-old attitude, throwing a three-year-old temper. That's kind of what I was smiling. I was, I figured, I was, I was throwing a Carl off because I was smirking, but I was thinking, well, what if he acts like a three-year-old? Then what I Well, do? it's also like when you but, go out and you disciple, you're not going to disciple to a domestic violence victim like you would um, someone who has an addiction. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You would try to meet them where they are. You know, I almost mentioned that earlier when we were talking about, you know, not preaching on sin. There's a right way and a wrong way to approach yes. it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we obviously don't want to have that Westboro Baptist Church attitude of just screaming obscenities at people and telling them they're going to rot in hell. That's, you know, for one thing, that's not a, a good expression of God's heart. Yes. He clearly says that his not, it's, it's his desire that none should perish. Right. Right. He didn't even want Hophni and Phinehas to perish, I don't believe. He approached them based upon the heart that they mm-hmm. had, that they had nurtured, that he, they forced him to approach him with. Right. Or, or right. they they forced him to approach them with, I should say. Right. I'm gonna, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I'm gonna kind of grow on with what Ronnie said there about approaching things differently, and 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 kind of loop that back to your question earlier about why you think he has us go through things. And I think that's also, um, you know, he he wouldn't put you through anything unless it was a purpose. And mm-hmm. I think one of those purposes is is you know your your quiver of arrows is different from everybody else's mm-hmm. your your life story is different in a way that you can you can relate or preach to somebody differently than even I can yeah. or yeah. you preach differently than Ronnie can and how many times have we been in a situation where somebody a fellow christian has come to us with a question we're like oof i don't know but i know somebody that's kind of been in that situation you want to talk yeah. to him and yeah. we kind of we kind of use our resources Absolutely. as a community to 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 foster that to far to to bring that person closer to God through the experiences that they that they can relate to, and that's something I I said on the other podcast too is everybody at that table 
or that episode isn't there for a reason, but they have different tools. They're the different tool in the toolbox. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of knowledge. And just like I was saying earlier, um, a, a new believer or a fresh believer wouldn't go to systematic theology class 104. Right. Right. Just like you wouldn't throw down a geometry book to a second grader. Right. Like they wouldn't even understand. Oh, look, cool. Triangles. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's the same concept, really. It is. That other podcast, by the way, is the Broken Record Ministries podcast. Oh. We don't have to dance around. I want you people listening to that one. That's, that's great content. When you're done listening to this, listen to that one or vice versa. I don't care. But yeah, it, and this is why it's important for us to walk together as believers. Right. Yes. This is why it's important, you know, when we're when we're instructed to to not to not neglect the gathering together, which I see a lot on the Hebrew root side do. Right. They get so and I was there. Right. I think he's talking about different walks. He's allowed me to walk a very unique road where I've been on the lawless side and I've been on the strict, very strict, hateful tour observant side. Right. And I think he allowed me to walk those two roads that I'd have that perspective on how how we get there. And how we get out of it, yeah. right? And why it matters. Sure. But you see a lot of that neglect there, and you know, it's you. you I see a lot of apostasy on that side. Yeah. Okay, I see a lot of I, I see a lot of individuals that are abandoning faith in, in Jesus altogether. Right. The, the closer they get to a misunderstanding of his intent and application of the law, the further away they get from Jesus. And I don't believe that's a coincidence. I don't believe it's a coincidence at all, and I also don't believe it's a coincidence that in that letter where we find that encouragement to gather together is in Hebrews, and what he's specifically dealing with in Hebrews are those who are abandoning faith in Jesus. Yeah. That's the specific issue that he's dealing with there is that they were abandoning faith in Jesus and returning to the shadow of the reality is the way he, he words it. They were going back to temple sacrifice to save themselves. He was dealing with the sin of unbelief. Like you mentioned that last night, yeah. Micah, that the sin yeah. he's talking about there is the sin of unbelief. And yeah. in the overarching context of that letter, I agree. Yeah. I think that's the only way you can interpret that. It's not It's not failing to wear zitzit or not having a square beard. Yeah. It's unbelief. Yeah. It's unbelief in Jesus. That's the sin he's talking about there. Yeah. And that's the sin I see on that particular side of the fence. The sin I see on the other side of the fence is what we've been talking about is just refusing to acknowledge sin altogether. Beyond, you know, because truth is hard. It is. Yeah. Right. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's a very tough pill, especially when it's something we're doing wrong. We like to point the finger at others. We like yeah. sin and repentance when it's about our neighbor or that guy sitting in a third pew. Uh, I saw I saw where he was at Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He mm -hmm. needs to repent, but I'm OK. You know, we can point the finger, but we can't point the finger when we're looking in the mirror. Right. Yeah, I mean, and we, which is what we should be doing most often. Yeah. We should be self-reflecting more than other yeah. reflecting. And I've used this example before. You know, I think we we get that mindset to justify it in our own minds. But when we talk about reflecting Jesus and knowing who Jesus is, the standard isn't that of the guy. Right. You mm -hmm. know, I'm I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as him, or I didn't do that. Well, that other guy is not the standard. The standard is Christ-likeness. The standard is holiness. Yes. And, and that's what we need to be striving for. And it's, it's easy to do that. And that's part of what we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast. You know, if it was easy, you know, we easy. And this is literally laziness in mm -hmm. a sense, because we don't have to do a whole lot. And honestly, that's probably why we don't see as much outreach like we'd like to see. We'd like to see people on fire in the street saying, hey, you heard about Jesus? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Hey, you need some help? 
you know, with, with food, you know, you need me to do whatever, you know what I mean? Just out there on fire. We don't see a lot of it because I think too many of us are seeking that easy thing. And it's easy to seek out permanent visitor status at a local church. Because let's be real, that's what membership for a lot of Christians has become. You just sit there and you're a permanent visitor. You don't really do much beyond maybe door greeting, but you're not out there. You're part of the club. You're part of the club. Exactly. And it feels good. Yeah. It feels good. We seek what feels good. It's kind of funny that you picked this topic because this was actually my topic last year when I spoke at the baccalaureate. Yeah. Is about being different. Hmm. Like, there's going to be tough choices, especially for graduating high school kids going into college. That's a huge momentum shift, movement, whatever, and you have to stand out if you're a follower. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get laughed at. You're going to get poked fun of, Mm -hmm. but it's all worth it, so you have to be different. Maybe Maybe you're the one that doesn't want to go to that party. It'll be different. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. It's what the, the word holy literally means in both languages, Greek and Hebrew, literally means to be set apart. Yes. Mm-hmm. To be set apart, to be peculiar, to be different. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? That should be the goal. We should be, you know, you know not being set up, set apart for the sake of being set apart. Yeah. Right. Not right. like in a pharisaical sense where, you know, they're wearing flowing robes just to look different so that they, they have all that that praise right. from people, right? Yeah. It's to shine a light. It's about motive, mm-hmm. right? It, it wasn't that the Pharisees were distinct. That was the problem. It was the heart motive behind them seeking distinction, yep. right? We need to be distinct to shine a light. And we've been talking a lot about, well, we, I've seen it come up. That that sermon that Cole gave uh, Sunday at the okay. baptism when he was talking about those references about bearing good fruit. Mm-hmm. I literally, bro, the day before, I listened to a, a teaching video from a guy named Steve Mutria, and it was literally on the exact mm-hmm. same passages, mm-hmm. like the exact same passages. And he arrived at a very similar, and what's, what's neat is, is Cole comes from the church perspective, right? And this guy is a more Torah personal perspective, but they arrived at the exact same col- c- conclusion. So awesome. this is talking about the heart. Yeah, it's almost like they have the same playbook. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, it's wild, right? Yeah. yeah, when we look at God's word, it's 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 easy to actually like have some yeah. unity and have some agreement. Right. Funny thing that, hmm. but it's about the heart, right? It's about like the way the way Steve put it was, you know, you either have it in your heart that you are committed to disobeying Him, or you have it in your heart that you're committed to obey Him. Those are the only two things you can be. Mm-hmm. There's no middle. There's no middle road, right? And it's not that we're not going to stumble. David stumbled. The difference between David and Saul is that David put it in his heart to obey the Father. Mm-hmm. That was the purpose of his heart. Even even in the midst of his stumbling, he re- he returned from that. Saul put it in his heart to d- disobey, to just get what he could get for himself out of God. Yeah. Right? What struck me, I was really like thinking about that at a deeper, trying to think about it at a deeper level, right? As deep as I can get. <laughs> the menorah in the temple is fashioned after a tree. Right. It's it's a it's a tree. The, the 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 main trunk of it. Right. Is what sets on the ground, obviously. And the branches that hold the candles are the are the tree branches. But where the candles set are like blossoms, They're like fashioned. There are cups, but they're fashioned after tree blossoms. Mm-hmm. So it's literally where the fruit would be. So where you put the candle is where the fruit of the tree would be. So what's the fruit? If the candle sitting where the fruit would be, what's the fruit, Chris? 
<laughs> yes, I gotcha. Yeah, you got me. What's the candle produce? Heat. Light. Light. The fruit is the light. Like, think about that for a second. Like, if, if we're looking at a menorah, and I, I firmly believe that's what Jesus had in his mind, was a menorah, because it's a, it's a fig tree, right? It's a fig tree. And he's, it, that's what we're called to do, is shine his light, to reflect his light. That's the fruit, right? If we have Jesus, if we're abiding in Jesus, we can't help but reflect his light. Even when we stumble, even when we fail, which we're all going to do, even when we have those random thoughts in our heart that aren't good, because the enemy is going to plant those things there, and sometimes our own our own weakness is going to plant those things there. Even when we stumble, if we're abiding in him, we can't help but reflect his light. Yep. We can't help but do it. And that's why it's so important to recognize the real Jesus and abide in him yes. to reflect that light, because the light we reflect does matter. Yes, absolutely. If I would ask you why it's important to recognize the real Jesus, any of the three of you, what would you say? Well, I think it's exactly what we've been talking about, because if you don't recognize the true who Jesus is in his true form, then you do become complacent or lazy and you become, well, I'm going to make Jesus whoever I want him to be. Yeah. And we pick and choose who we want him to be. You know, we talked about earlier, Carl mentioned, we talked about earlier, we mentioned that Casting Crown song where it says the difference between the God we want and the God who is. You know, there's yes. a difference, mm -hmm. you know, there we want God to be this genie type, almost type mentality where we rub the magic lamp when we get in trouble. He comes out and rescues us and bails us out. And then we kind of put him on the shelf until we need him again. And if we don't have a true reflection of who he is or what our role is in our walk with him and in our relationship with him, then we're just going to kind of go on cruise control and coast through life. And we're going to arrive at a false conclu false conclusion. Mm -hmm. right. And we're, we're more prone to follow a false image. We are. Of him. Yeah. Because we like to cherry pick and pick and choose. Mm -hmm. You know, who, yeah. you know, we like to say, okay, I like this part, I like this. And I, I mentioned the other night in our Bible study, there's, there's lots of different responses. When you hear the word of God, you hear this podcast or the Broken Records podcast or any sermon on the radio or sermon in, in church you always have a response. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that response is I'm going to ignore it altogether and say, forget it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the response is I'm going to cherry pick or I like that, I like that, I like that. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to you know, put mm -hmm. it all in this box because I like that. And all that other stuff, I'm going to kind of just shove to the side. Or we're going to be all in and engaged and say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to learn right. from this lesson? Yeah. What is it that you want to teach me through this? And, and that's where our heart needs to be anytime we hear the word of God taught or preached or talked about or even you mentioned the the body of believers getting together and that's why we do that that's why it's designed that way because if something would happen and i would be involved in an accident i would lose my arm can i function of course people function with one arm all the time you know but it would be difficult i would have to learn a whole right. new way of life i would have to do a whole way of doing things and what I'm used to doing, I wouldn't be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's talking about. The body of Christ is, or that's what the body of Christ is, is like the body. It, mm -hmm. When it functions together and then whenever everything's functioning together and everything's healthy, you know, we can do a lot, a lot of things for him. Right. But when we got a limp arm or a bum leg or a limp, like you talked about a few podcasts ago, mm -hmm. you know, the, the limp, when we talk about when we have those ailments, then it, it really hinders our reflection of him. It hinders his work and what he wants to do through us. Mm -hmm. Right. I believe that there is a counterfeit. Yes. Right. 
Sorry, my my little one's looking in through the window. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm distracted. She's so cute. She's so cute. The Batman hat. <laughs> I believe the danger is there's a counterfeit, or at the very least, there's a counterfeit coming. I've expressed in previous episodes my concern is that, and that counterfeit is obviously there's two sons. There's the son of God, and there's the son of perdition, right? And they're diametrically opposed to one another. But I think. I think we assume that's obviously the Antichrist I'm talking about. Anti means in place of, right? It literally means to be in the place of Christ, to set up in the place of the Messiah. I believe that the Antichrist will set himself up as a messianic figure. I believe that he'll he'll position himself to be a messianic figure for the, the three main faith groups that dominate the world. I believe he's going to try to make himself appear like the coming Messiah for the Jews who don't who reject Jesus. I believe he's going to simultaneously position himself to appear like the Mahdi for Islam. And I believe that he's going to, for for less knowledgeable Christians and Christians that, that don't have a deep relationship with the real Jesus, I think he's going to try to make himself look like the return of Jesus for Christianity. I believe he's going to try to strike at the heart of those three things simultaneously. If you look at the false prophecies given through Islam about their Mahdi, they actually teach that Jesus comes back by name. Yeah. They teach that in their prophecy, that he comes back by name to kill Christians that, that refuse to acknowledge Allah as God. This is dangerous, right? This is scary stuff. If, if using that name is an off-limits for the enemy, we have to have a very deep abiding relationship with the real Jesus to recognize the difference, and there are subtle differences. And this is why I bring this up, because I think this, this is why it's important to know who the real Jesus is and to recognize him. And to know that recognizing him isn't knowing, oh, that, that robe, that's the robe that Jesus wears. I've seen it in the paintings. You know, he's got that long flowing brown hair. That's him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not about what he looks like. It's not about knowing his eye color. It's not about knowing his, his complexion or how much pigmentation he has. It's about knowing his expectations, yes. right? We recognize Jesus 2,000, remo- 2000 years removed from him. The only way for us to recognize Jesus is A, knowing the expectations that he teaches, and B, having him in our heart abiding in us, right, through his spirit to have that relationship with him. Because like, if you have that relationship, let's be real. If the Antichrist comes, the spirit's going to be like, hey, well, I ain't that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Beware of that. Right. You know, but secondarily, right, we need to know what his expectations are because when we have somebody who's presenting himself as a false version of the real thing, like you said, Micah, it's not going to be all deception all the time. It's not going to be 100% everything diametrically opposed to God. There's going to be subtle differences, but there's also going to be subtle little things where they have some overlap. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I agree with that stuff. Oh, yeah. That stuff's good, yep. but don't do that. And that's why I think it's important to understand the the full nature of his expectations for us and his standard he sets for us so that we can recognize the real thing from the counterfeit. So I'm going to read this from, it's from Daniel 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing, the way that chapter, I encourage those of you listening to read the entire chapter. It starts off with a pretty awesome description of the Son of Man himself, Jesus, um, st- standing before the Ancient of Days, the Father, right? It's, it's an awesome description, but then it goes into a description of like a stylized, symbolic representation of the Antichrist's kingdom. We're not going to dive into that because that's very deep, right? And I, I'm probably not qualified to do prophecy, <laughs> prophecy interpretation. As much as I like prophecy, I'd probably get a lot of that wrong. But it describes the four beasts. The fourth beast is the Antichrist kingdom that comes comes at the end, probably 
not too far away from where we're at positionally, if I had to guess. I don't think we're too far from it. Just interpreting. It, I, I'm not going to dive into prophecy. I'm not, not going to dive into prophecy right now. I don't think we're that far away from it. Let's put it that way. Anyway, it describes the Antichrist through his kingdom, the ten horns, and then the little horn is the Antichrist that we're going to focus on. Right? That's that's the guy that's the counterfeit. But he says this, starting in verse 23. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth that will be different from all other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth and trample it and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise. Another will arise after them, but he will be different from the previous ones. He will subdue three kings. That's the little horn. Again, we have this this described in the book of Revelation also, just in, in a different way. I think Daniel's describing the same thing as John in Revelation, just from a different perspective. He will speak words against the Most High and will continually harass the Holy Ones of the Most High and will try to change the appointed times and law. The Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. I'm going to stop there. The part I wanted to focus on there was how we recognize him. Did you notice that? He tries to change the appointed times and the law. Now, contextually speaking, what we're talking about here is the law given by God, right, and his appointed times. The appointed times, and I don't believe it's it's Moedim in the Hebrew here. I believe it uses a different word. There's a couple different words for it, but it's it's what the the, the Jewish people would call the Mo, the Moedim. What they're referencing there are like the holy the holy days, like Sukkot, Passover, things like that. But it also includes things like Sabbath. Right. Sabbath is a holy day also or an appointed time also. And what he specifically narrowly focuses on are taking the appointed times that that God has established, getting rid of that and changing things in the law. Right. Not necessarily everything. And the reason it's so important to understand the real Jesus is like we've already kind of expressed. And that's why I expressed that earlier, even though it's not the focus of this episode. There are things that Yeshua, that Jesus shifted in the law. Because the intent of those aspects of the law weren't meant to be eternal. This is why it's so important to study, right? Because we're on the other side of Jesus shifting certain things in the law, but we're also warned about a counterfeit that's going to change other things in the law. And what's that sound like? Like we talked earlier about those on, obviously those on the the right-hand side of the fence that don't even acknowledge a shift at all. But we talked about those on the left-hand side of the fence that acknowledge a shift, but then they shift things that were never meant to be shifted. That sounds like what the Antichrist does. Now, I'm not accusing people who have been taken taken in by that, or even pastors that teach as being the Antichrist. Don't mistake what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they're doing something similar to what the Antichrist is said to do, right? That's why it's so dangerous, and that's why it's so important that we recognize who the real Jesus is, recognize his standards and seek to apply those standards even if his standards disagree with everything we've been taught and everything our fathers have been taught and everything our grandfathers have been taught we're two thousand years removed from the early church and i don't know how much studying you guys have done on church history but it's ugly and bloody there's a lot of ugliness that went through church history and it's not unrealistic to think that some things were handed down to us that aren't right (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and we need to line up what we believe with scripture and be willing to acknowledge that maybe we haven't been handed down the whole truth and maybe there are some things that have been handed down as seeds from the enemy to prepare us for accepting a counterfeit and that's the whole point of this series that i have planned this tough pill series 
I want to highlight some areas where I believe we have been misled or deceived or or had a not such good seed planted that might be paving the way for this counterfeit that I'm talking about. That's my my intent here, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so what is the what is the standard? Right? That's the key question, right? right? What is the standard then? He repeats a lot of instructions, a lot of laws, right? We actually have more laws. That's one thing that's kind of funny. Uh, I, I've, I've had Christians, when I didn't walk such a good road on the Torah side, one of, the, one of the, the things that would be thrown at me is, how can you keep all those 613 laws? That's ridiculous. My first response would be, you realize how many laws are on the books in the United States of America alone? <laughs> you keep a lot of those. <laughs> you probably obey more traffic laws than that. My secondary response is not all the 613 laws apply to us individually. It's, it's what's called jurisdictional. His law is a jurisdictional law. It means that some things apply to women. Some things apply to priests. Some things apply to farmers, right? And if you're not one of those people, then it doesn't apply to you. But then my third response would be, you know how many laws were repeated in the New Testament? 1,039. 1,039 individual instructions and laws repeated in the New Testament. So the argument that that's too many to obey, it's too much of a burden, kind of falls flat when you look at how many instructions were given in a New Testament context and what that tells me. Now, I'm not arguing I'm not arguing strict 100% Torah observance with no acknowledgement of any kind of shift at all. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if there are 1,039 instructions and laws given to us in a New Testament context, that tells me that Jesus is a just and a lawful redeemer. He expects us to comply with the standard. Right. Mm-hmm. We get that a little bit from that reference that I that I repeated from Revelation just to create that link between Revelation and Malachi. He says that those people who engage in those without repentance, they don't have a place in the kingdom of God. We see something similar when he addresses the churches in Revelation two and three. He goes through a laundry list you know, aside from Philly. He goes through a laundry list of things they're doing well and things they're doing not so well and says you need to repent of this stuff. He's not saying I'm going to cast you off right now, but he is saying you need to address this. You need to repent. He, he cares about our deeds. He cares about the things that we do. So again, what's the full measure of the standard? I think the key is in the third day. So we obviously know that it's prophecy, right? He was resurrected on the third day because that's what's prophesied. We get that from Jonah. Jesus even mentions that that's the sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights in the belly, in the belly of the beast. It's a picture of his resurrection. I think we also have that picture given. We referenced uh, Hosea chapter 6 last week, mm-hmm. and it, it gives that off-the-cuff reference about two days, and then I'll revive you on the third day. Yep. It seems to be like a subtle way of pointing toward that. But that's prophecy, right? It's prophesied he'll be raised on the third day. That doesn't answer the question of why the third day, right? What's the significance of the third day of all things, right? Another place we come to, and I think it's it's... It's part of, there's there's two instances where I think we're, we're pointed back. I think there's one instance where we're pointed back and then something we're pointed back to. And it gives us the clue, I believe, to the standard that we need to be looking to, right? There's a reason I'm talking about all this. And I'll, I'll ramble my way to it eventually, I promise you. <laughs> if we look at the wedding in Cana, right? It's, I believe, in John chapter 2, I think is where that's accounted. It's where he performed his very first miracle. Mm-hmm. It's where he turned the water into wine. Now, that's a deep rabbit chase unto itself, but that wedding, it specifies, was on the third day of the week. Mm-hmm. It specifies it was on the third day. So we have that reference to a third day again. And 
very infrequently does it give us the specific day of the week something happens on. So I think it's important, right? And of course, being a wedding, we have wedding language. Again, like deferring back to last week, we talked about the marriage. You know, when he returns, it's referred to as the wedding feast. I think the wedding at Cana is a picture of the wedding feast. I believe the third day in that reference is probably a picture of the messianic reign. We have 2,000 years or two days of this this period of grace that we're in after his his ascension. And then that third 1,000-year period would be that third day. I believe that's, that's, as a rabbit chase, that's part of what that's pointing to. Do you know what the word Cana means? Anybody? You didn't no, study that? No. But you didn't I, research that before but, he came no, in, despite the fact I did. didn't even mention it? <laughs> <laughs> it actually means reeds. Or read, I think is singular, but it means read. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Read or reads? Sea, body of water, river. I was going to say that's where they they found Moses among the reeds in the. They did. I didn't even have that in mind. But well, when you say reeds, I'm like, okay, I know that. (laughs) Very good. Very good. I didn't have that in mind. I was thinking sea of reeds. We usually call it the Red Sea. Maybe that's why I was, that was a little bit of a trick question. I'm not being very fair to you guys. I would say I promised to cut this stuff, but I don't. That's all right. I probably won't. You stole that, didn't you? What's that? You stole that joke from me. I didn't did, you? yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, so I co-opted it and took it and made it my own. <laughs> you don't mind, do you? Nope. I'll pay you later. No, I'll pay your royalties for every time I say it. Yeah. It's the, the, the sea that was divided when they walked over on dry ground in the Exodus. Right. It's in Hebrew, it's called the Sea of Reeds. That's what that sea is actually called. And <laughs> reeds are interesting. They only grow. I think it's a picture. Reeds only grow in groups and clusters together. They don't grow on their own. And they only grow in bodies of water. That's interesting. They only grow in water. And they can only grow vibrantly together. I think that's a picture of us abiding in Jesus. I really do. He's our living water. And we can only grow in him. And we grow most vibrantly when we grow together. As a side note, I think that's a picture of why it's so important to have unity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that Cana, that that reed, that picture of pointing back to the Sea of Reeds, we're pointed back to the Exodus, right? And this is when the people had been in slavery in Egypt for 420 years, I think, or just 400? Is it 400 or 420? Be my dictionary, Micah, do you know? I don't. You're killing me here. I know. Man. There's a lot of I don'ts. I know. Yeah, there is. I think it's 400. I think it's 400 too. I think you're right. But they were they were in slavery for several hundred years, and they they're coming out. Moses goes, let my people go. You know, Charlton Heston makes a great Moses. <laughs> We've all got the pictures in our minds, and he he slams the sea non biblically. That didn't happen. They, they they wait all night. That's the difference. I think we've talked about that before yeah. on an episode. That you know, it, when you when you look at what really happened, it's a lot more powerful. They had to watch while the, the Egyptian army was right at the gates and they've got their backs to the water and they can't retreat. And then they, God forces them to sit there and watch him put his hand down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Essentially, figuratively speaking, and hold back the hold back the armies of Pharaoh. It's an awesome picture. And then they wait all night long for the wind to blow blow the water away and then then dry out the ground. Devil miracle. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, this the ground should have been sopping wet. They should have been sinking in it. Right. They cross over on dry ground. It's awesome, right? They cross over, and what happens next is they come to Sinai. And that's where we come to. So I'm going to read something from that, but it's in Exodus chapter 19. And this is where they get the covenant, right? This is where they get the covenant at Oreb and Sinai. And there's a part I'm going to read. 
And it's going to take me a second because I didn't, I didn't shift back over from Malachi to Exodus in my app. Loading. Loading. Please wait. Loading. Buffering. Push button. Mm-hmm. Loading. You wouldn't have to wait if you actually used a real Bible. That's true. But then you'd hear me flipping pages, and I don't like that sound. The silence sounds a lot better than... It does, isn't it nice? It's not awkward at all. (laughs) So he says this, so he's preparing the people, right? And we're going to expand upon this a little bit more in some of these coming episodes that I have planned, but this is what this third day is pointing to, I believe. So he's preparing the people for Sinai, because Yahweh is going to descend on the mountain in the the Theophany, and this is going to be Jesus there, right? We've talked about that before. I believe that any time we have... A human having a face-to-face interaction with the image of the invisible God, that is Jesus. So this is him handing over the Ten Commandments. But before this happens, in chapter 20 is where we have the Ten Commandments. In chapter 19, he says this, Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day, for on the third day Yahweh will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. They were to prepare for two days. And then on the third day specifically, that's when Jesus, Yahweh, comes down onto the mountain to meet with Moses to offer the covenant. I believe that's what we're being pointed to here. When Jesus died, it wasn't the death that brought us back into the marriage covenant. And that's how I view this, this this Oreb covenant. So, So in chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments, and then in chapters 21 through 23, we have some statutes that are given that give us practical application of those Ten Commandments. We're not talking about veil of separation stuff. We're not talking about laws of purity rights. That came later, after the rebellion. That came 40 years later at Moab. After they rebelled, they they kept God at a distance. They said, no, God, we're not going to come near. We'll send Moses. He'll go near. Right? So, okay. You know, Moses will come near. We talked about that in the previous episode. I can't remember which one I should have. I should have refreshed my memory to to point to that episode. I think it was the Melchizedek episode. Mm-hmm. And you know, please, and that set apart, set yep, apart, and Melchizedek. Listen to those episodes because that's what I'm talking about here. They rebelled. There were a series of rejections that the people made toward Yahweh that led to the situation we had leading to Jesus' death and resurrection. That led to separations between themselves and Yahweh. The Ten Commandments are not separation laws. The statutes given in 21 through 23 are not separation statutes. It's a marriage covenant. It's vows of the marriage. Right? This is what we're looking at here. And I believe that this is what his death and resurrection is pointing us to because on the third day, it wasn't his death that brought us back to the marriage covenant. It was his resurrection. That was what made his death different. Lots of people have died. Lots of people have been crucified. Right? Lots of people have died miserable deaths. Some people have died deaths that were more painful than his, probably. Nobody's risen from the dead before. Right? Not of their own accord. Right? right? That was, a, that was the resurrection. It was that power of resurrection. That was the power of Yahweh's presence coming down to be among men. When he resurrected from the, de- from the dead and walked out of the tomb, that was that Oreb event happening all over again. The power of God coming down to bring us back to the marriage covenant to bring us near after we rejected him, after we pushed him at a distance. That's why the, the veil was torn. We're going to get into that in another another episode, too. That's like tearing a contract, right? We had a contract of slave status because we rejected him. 
because we rebelled against him. And I say we because that rebellion represented all of us as a people group. We sure. accepted slave status like Hagar, right? He tore that contract and brought us in like proper sons like, like Sarah, like Isaac. We were brought near again. We were never allowed to come near to him before then. You know, before, you could, you could have a priest go into the temple, but then you'd have to have a high priest that could only go to the most holy place where Yahweh was, where the Father was, and then only once a year. Mm. Right? There was, there was no real true approaching the Father like the Father wanted. And we have to remember his intent. To, to, to see his intent, we've got to go back to the garden. He was walking with Adam face to face in the cool of the day, daily. Sure. Mm-hmm. To speak with him because he wanted a relationship. That is a picture of his intent, not the separation. You know what I mean? Not residing in a temple and, and never really having any kind of interaction with his people and only interacting with a high priest once a year. That was not his intent. But Jesus started the process of bringing us back to that intent. And it points back to Oreb. It points back to that Sinai covenant, the Ten Commandments, before they were broken. Right? This is, this is the standard. The reason I bring all this up is I believe that this is the key to understanding who the real Jesus is, as opposed to the counterfeit, who changes the standard, who points to the Oreb covenant and says, did God really say? <laughs> did God really say to do that? Is that really the marriage covenant? Eh, does that stuff really matter anymore? Man, it's the 21st century. That's pretty old. Do we really need to obey that? That's what the counterfeit says. Right. That's what the serpent says. But the Son of Man says, that's my covenant with you. That's what I always wanted to have with you. That pointed to our relationship restored and renewed forever. That's, how it, that's what it looks like to walk it out. That's what the picture of the new earth is. you just walking that naturally. That's the goal. We're not there yet. right? We have the Holy Spirit guiding us and helping us, but so long as we're struggling, we haven't reached the fullness of the goal of having that covenant fully embedded and written on our heart so that we just walk it naturally. Because that's what our what our objective is. Someday we're going to have a new body where we just walk out these things naturally. We won't need stone covenants anymore, stone tablets anymore. We won't need a written word. I won't need to wait 15 minutes for my app to load up. I'll just know how to walk, right? Mm-hmm. But until then, and my app messed up again. See how problematic this is? Chris. Will you hand them that, please? No, 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 no. I, I don't <laughs> need another reference to look at. I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. Oh, thanks for that. I appreciate that. I will edit that out. Actually, no, because people are talking. I can't. I can't edit it out. See, that's the goal, right? Right now, we're in that period where it's transitioning to the fullness of the new covenant. We're not there yet, but we can point to what his standard is. Because we do have a written word now, and we have it for a reason. And that's why it's so important to understand the difference between the side that says nothing shifted at all, and they have all the wrong focus, right? And then the other side that says everything changed. We can get rid of the stuff left to Matthew. We don't need that anymore. It's important to understand the marital vows. We, we've got to, right? And don't get me wrong. He, he gives us great standards in the New Testament context, but he expected that we would have the whole word. Like we have to remember when he's, when Jesus is speaking, even when Paul's speaking, they're speaking to people that had, they had the Torah and the prophets. They didn't have a canonized New Testament. So when he's saying study to show yourself approved, what are they studying? Mm-hmm. Right? 
they had a gospel probably, but what they're studying is what we call the Old Testament. And he's pointing to this covenant. He's pointing to the standards of the covenant. You know, there's a reason every time we have a law repeated in a New Testament context, I would be willing to wager to you in every single instance I could point back, back to this Oreb covenant, Exodus 20 through 23, and show you a principle in either one of the laws or the Ten Commandments or one of the statutes says, that's it. That's it right there. It's pointing back to that every single time. I'd be willing to wager I could point back to, to one of the statutes contained in that short section of Scripture say, that's where it's pointing to. That's the principle. Mm-hmm. Every time, because that's the standard. Because that's the standard they had. That's the standard they were reading that's the standard they were studying. That's the standard they were teaching, right? We look at, you know, like I said, I just think we have a, a, a skewed view. Paul's great. And the reason, a lot of the reason that, I, that I, I have this understanding of the marriage covenant versus the slave covenant in Moab is because of Paul's teachings. He's vital. I believe he's vital. The words of Jesus, vital. You don't have a salvation without Jesus. You need him. You need his words. But we elevate these New Testament letters over and above the Torah and the prophets that were pre-existing. That's our foundation. And there's error in that, right? These guys were writing about those writings. I said writing twice. Mm-hmm. That's not grammatically good. <laughs> they're, they're teaching their... Their letter, their letter, their letter. I'm not gonna let you skip that one either. I was thinking that too. (laughs) Their letter authoring about those writings that sounded really good and high, highbrow, didn't it? Mm -hmm. That sounded better. Their letter authoring about those writings, right? Mm -hmm. We have to understand the writings that they're teaching to understand the teaching that they're writing. (laughs) We 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 can't understand what they what they write about if we don't. If we don't, we, we can't understand what they're writing if we don't understand what they're writing about. Right. Right. And, I, you know, I think both sides err a little bit with Paul because we have to remember Peter's warning. Peter's warning, everybody on the tour side focuses on the second part where Peter says, you know, our beloved brother Paul, he writes about some things that are difficult to understand and some people twist his words unto lawlessness. And that's where they focus on. See, aha, mainstream Christianity. They're all lawless. That's what they say. I hate it. They're all lawless. And I, like, by the way, I hate it because I was there once. Full disclosure. Open transparency. I was one of those guys, right? But they focus on that one little part there and say, see, Paul's letters are twisted unto lawlessness, and they miss the part where it says they're very difficult to understand. He says he's writing about things that are very difficult to understand. Now, let me present something to those of you listening. If the truth was, on the Torah side, all Jesus did was to come to forgive us our sins and nothing's changed. Is that difficult to understand? Or is that pretty simple? And I can say that in a sentence really easily without the need to to write really, really highly at a high level like Paul did to desperately try to convey a a teaching that he has. Because obviously what Paul's doing, he has an understanding here and he's desperately trying to convey that understanding so that they'll understand, so that they'll understand it too. If the truth is nothing's changed, you're just forgiven now. Well, that's not very difficult. Why didn't you just say that? But on the other end of it, if it's, you know, you're saved now and you don't have to worry about any of that Old Testament stuff at all, not a word of it, you know, just live your best life now. Is that difficult? Why didn't you just say that? Right? There's something deeper about what Paul's writing that we're missing, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? And I believe it comes down to that shift back to the intent. There was a shift away from the intent and then a shift back to the intent. And Paul's trying to trying to explain 
to two groups at once. One group that's so Torah obsessed that they refuse to acknowledge a shift, and then another group that's coming out of paganism that has no like no interaction with biblical biblical stuff at all. And he's trying to explain this same core truth to two wildly different groups. That's hard. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm rambling a little bit. I apologize. This is going long. We'll do a special episode on Paul. Point is <laughs> The key to recognizing the real Jesus is the standard, and I believe the key to understanding the standard is looking at the standard that he gave us at Oreb. That's the marriage covenant. If baptism is the ring, if baptism is the ring we put on, then we have to know what the vows are because that's just an event. Getting married is just an event. It's fun. It's awesome. The ring's a great symbol. But the meat and potatoes, as Chris would put it, of the marriage is walking out the marital vows on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. right? That's the important part in any marriage, including our marriage with him. So that's what I wanted to express for this episode. Uh, Like I say, we're going to have some tough pill topics moving forward, but I think they're going to be fun. But they're mostly going to be focused on this shift, what the shift means, and some areas where I think both sides are kind of misunderstanding the shift a bit. Guys, got any final thoughts before I share our final scripture reference that's going to lead us to next week? Yeah, I guess I'll go first. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of an overlaying theme of the, the whole show, but, um, you know, I kind of go back into a couple of our episodes where we talk about a moral shift. And, you know, the question at the beginning was, how do you think we got to the point that we're at now? And I believe it's that it's that moral shift. And as as Micah said, the devil's not going to come in swinging for the fences because we would instantly recognize that mm-hmm. it's going to come in and and cultural shifts and you know you take the the way to get us out of church and get him out of our lives is to you know gradually pick it little things all throughout first we take him out of you know we take him out of state we take him out of we take him out of school we take him you know and it comes to take him out of this take him out of that and the last thing to go is you take him out of church mm-hmm. and then and then the very last thing to go is our souls he <laughs> takes it he takes it right he takes it right and Granted, we're probably not, I would hope that we're not ever going to get to the point where it's, we just kick Jesus out of our life altogether. But I think the complacency is in the middle road where, and this is probably blasphemous to say, the middle road where Satan's going to meet us is, well, we just won't be serving him. You'll know who he is, but you won't be serving him correctly Mm -hmm. because I'll have, I will have infiltrated the church so much that your view of, if Jesus is no longer the right one. Right. Yeah. I think it's that, 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 that steady over the last 2000 years, the last, the, the, and even more so now with social media and, and everything that's going on is that, that moral shift is just, it's creeping, creeping until eventually we won't be able to firmly say, Hey, that's not, that's not Jesus. But you, Mike, you got anything? Yeah. I was just going to say when we reflect, in order to reflect Jesus properly, we got to know him. There's a big difference between religion and a relationship. Yes. Yeah, religion is all about doing. Check the boxes. Do those things. Religion is about knowing who Christ is and about what he has already done for us. We talked about the membership thing, and you know, I think we have that concept sometimes. And you know, I'm a, I'm a member of the YMCA and they don't care whether I go every day or whether I go once a year or whether I go at all, as long as they get their membership paid. Oh man, you're, 
You know, I mean, I mean, they're attacking me now. I know. As long as, long as they, <laughs> I've had a membership now for a, a year, and I've probably only went like six times. And, and they don't care, you know, as long as the membership dues get get paid. And I think sometimes we have that mindset when it comes to gathering together. Well, as long as I throw some money at it, or if as long as I kind of do a few things, it really doesn't matter. And and I think we, you know, I don't like the word membership. I'd prefer owner because there's a big difference between ownership and renting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm renting a place and the heater goes out, then I call the landlord and say, hey, the heater's out. You need to come come fix this. If I own it, guess who's paying for a heater repair, you know, I or, or a new heater. And I think, you know, when we on our walk with Christ, we've got to take that ownership aspect of it. We've got to take that. You know, I really want to because of my relationship with him, it encourages me to know him more and to know him intimately and when I do that, then my actions will reflect who he is. Yeah, I agree. I think there's you can know all about him and not really know him. Yeah, you you care about something a lot more when yes. you own it. Yeah, when you rent it, not yep. so much. Yep. Yeah, but you're running. I think to piggyback on that, never just read a Bible verse. Read the context, the before, the verse, and the after. Yeah, how often is that? Uh, I see that all the time. I really do. You see those it's like one inspirational. Of my, yeah, it's one of my pet peeves, my irks. You know this, Carl. Like, insert bumper sticker here, insert coffee mug here, insert T-shirt here, and get the most mileage out of it, except for it's not the correct mileage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big believer that one of the worst things we did was breaking down the Bible into chapters and verses. It makes it so much more convenient to to find individual references, but it encourages that attitude of just, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just take this little snippet and and run with that. It's it's a dangerous thing. We need to understand yeah. the full context for I sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, we even saw that last week with, you know, for every everything there is a season, and, you know, we always see the, the nice, pretty wall hangings and stuff, but... You know, and then that might lead people to think, well, when's my season? When, yeah. when, when's this going to happen for me? But the very next handful of verses says it's in his time, mm-hmm. not ours. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, which we'll all hear that. But Tim Tebow's his infamous John three sixteen, <laughs> I black stuff. Yeah. But him saying it and his conviction for it and then changing it to Philippians eight something i think if you don't know the whole story the context right Mm -hmm. you would think that that was like cherry picking the verse for from him but that verse meant something to him so that's Mm -hmm. he was going to show his outward faith right and then he wanted to change but then he got told he couldn't change it because they were marketing it and selling eye black that had john 316 on it (laughs) yeah (laughs) but he felt the urge that he needed to change it for that game. Mm-hmm. And he did. And then 40 million Google searches went to see what that verse said. It's the intent. Yes. Right. right? A hundred percent. And how you understand, like how you, you can, you can cherry pick a verse and 100% understand it's, it's proper meaning. It's proper applicability. Yes. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. But when you rip it out of context, like, for example, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> How often do you see that used to, jo- oh, I can get this promotion at work. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> or it's on a office 
hanging on an inspirational poster. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, when you understand the proper context there, it's, yeah. I can suffer, a better interpretation, I think, of that would be, I can suffer all things through Christ who strengthens me. I yeah. can, I can, I can, I can weather any storm if I have Jesus, if I'm abiding in the vine. I can weather anything, no matter how severe. That's the more proper application of that. Right. But it kind of highlights the issue we've been talking about this entire episode. Too many want easy. Too many, too many, I think, treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle to give them their every want and desire. And and they don't treat him like a Lord over their life. Right. We're not, we have to, if, if we truly love him, we have to be willing to suffer for him. If we're not, we need to do a heart check. We really do. If we're not willing to suffer for him as much as we're willing to be blessed by him, then I... What was that? It was my phone that I forgot to silence. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my, what? It was my phone I forgot to silence. Okay. I was like, what was that? Because that was that's not our sound I've heard before. Yeah, I was like, oh, there's our wrap-up music. Gotta go. <laughs> Laptop just done. Yeah. You would think I would remember that I didn't silence my phone when yours went off, but I didn't. Oh. I didn't until just now. Oh, well. I lost my train of thought. I'm happy that happened. I, I shouldn't be what I am. <laughs> well, I don't know what I was getting ready to say, but I'm... There it goes again. <laughs> yeah. What is that? My phone notification. I didn't see it. Oh, okay, it. okay. <laughs> I've been held it up to the mic so everybody else could hear. Yep. I'm sure I was getting ready to say something super insightful, but I lost it. So I'm just going to read our closing reference in, in Exodus. Do you remember what I was saying, no, Chris? I don't. I can't, <laughs> you listening to me? Oh, man. What a friend. <laughs> I got sidetracked by your phone. I did, yeah, too. I did, I too. So I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to hold that over your head, Chris. I apologize. Right, I was okay. the one speaking and not forget what I was saying. You I know, know, this is... I will say this is kind of like a glimpse into our friendship where on the outside looking in, if this is like your first episode, you'd probably think, why are these guys even doing it? Why are they doing it? They hate each other. I hope they're not at arm's length right, at each other. Right, they're yeah. each other next. This, oh, is, no. uh, this is awkward. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a fun friendship. I've enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to close this out with Isaiah 56, and that's going to lead us into next week's episode. Thus says Yahweh, preserve justice, do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the Son of Man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let a son of a foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely exclude me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant. I will give to them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to Yahweh to minister to him and to love the name of Yahweh and to be his servants, all who keep from profaning Sabbath and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, shalom. God bless.
Singing Gloria, amen. Singing Gloria.